Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. We have a uh, great guest today on today's show, a uh, tennis journalist, friend of the program, second time appearing first here in 2022, MC, writer, social media specialist. They all circle around tennis. You might know her work at the Hall of Fame in Newport. Blair Henley, welcome back to the show. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been a, an eventful couple of months since we last chatted, um, but first, I mean, before we go anywhere else we got the return of tennis in what has to be the shortest off season of all time in the history of sports we had two weeks off and we're right back at it i'll be honest i wasn't ready i maybe i would have felt more ready if i were actually on site uh, for me it's i would love to be in australia but it's tough uh it's, it's just a long period of time away from home um which is which is a challenge for me um so maybe if i were on site and sort of feeling the vibe and the buzz and the adrenaline maybe <laughs> felt yeah. slightly different, but I was like, Oh my gosh, like I am not ready to have to be keeping up with scores and, and results quite yet. Um, that said a few days in and you're just sort of, it's like riding a bike. I mean, it's, this is what we do. We're tennis people. This is what we do. It is pretty crazy, right? Like I, I we're, we are tennis people, but explaining it to an outsider, like, okay, two weeks, you're back, and then you're already playing for a Grand Slam. Like even, I guess golf is the only comparable, but even they ramp up to the Masters. Like there's nothing really comparable to, all right, you're back, two weeks of tune-ups, and now it's time to play for a Grand Slam. Um, Richard Ings, who I've sort of gotten to know through tennis circles, he was a former official. He was a, an official for a long time. Uh, and he tweeted about the offseason that when the ATP was first formed, so early 70s, they wanted a short season and they made a short season, but players just played exhibitions during the downtime. And so, and, and because players were voluntarily playing, the season just sort of over time grew in its official capacity. Would that be different today because of the physicality uh, differences? Perhaps, but I guess that's sort of what happened is they started that way and then it just sort of evolved into this never ending calendar. It's a tough one. It's a debate for sure. I know players, uh, some want to rest and will continuously take time off to recharge, but there's players that just want to keep going. They know this is the short window to make money and they know that if players are sitting out, that's their opportunity to win and, and rack up breaking points. So I don't know if there's a solution. Selfishly, we're just happy that there's tennis all the time though. I mean, listen, job security, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so tennis has no shortage of headlines uh, and no shortage of uh, entertainment, but I don't think we were expecting what's gone down in Australia right now with the number one player in the world, uh, nine-time Australian Open champion, Novak Djokovic. We're recording this on Thursday morning, the day that this podcast will drop. Thank heavens, because if we would have recorded it Monday, Tuesday, even yesterday, we would have a little different things to update in the show. But as it stands right now, he got his exemption. The visa was denied. It was revoked. There's an appeal, uh, an appeal process pending until Monday is when they're going to hear it in Australia, Sunday here in the States. 
it's just the giant mess to say the least. And taking the, uh, you know, the personal choice side out of it, the fact that there was this communication breakdown, Blair, I think is what's standing out between the outsiders, people in the tennis world, particularly people that just want to see a good and, and controversy-free Australian Open. How did we get to this point where there's such a breakdown between Djokovic's team, the health body, and the government and the Border Patrol in Australia? That's a big question. Uh, and I don't think we have all of the facts yet. We may never have all of the facts. I think for me, sort of the best way to absorb what happened in the past 24, 36 hours is just to remind myself that multiple things can be true. It mm -hmm. can be true that we could have avoided all this if Djokovic didn't want to get vaccinated and just didn't go, or if he did get vaccinated and decided to go like the majority of the tour. And so reminding myself that multiple things can be true. He could have gotten vaccinated like the majority of the tour, uh, or he could have not gotten vaccinated and not gone. Um, it could also be true that, hey, listen, he was afforded this opportunity to not do either one of those things and get this exemption. Okay, that was within the rules. It could also be true that, as you said, there was some sort of communication breakdown along the way that, I, again, people are saying or sources are saying that there were multiple written documents that stated that the supposed reason that Djokovic was getting the exemption, and we haven't had confirmation of that, was that he had COVID within the last six months. And, and there are supposedly multiple written documents that said this is not acceptable uh, by the federal government. Uh, and it could also be true, Mitch, that had Djokovic not posted on Instagram before getting on that flight, that this might have ended differently. Because in the time that he posted, to the time that he landed in Australia, there were many, many hours. If you've ever made the flight to Australia, you know, there is a long period of time where people were able to be outraged and, and rightly so, the people yeah. in Melbourne. I mean, they couldn't go to family members' funerals because of the rules. And so I totally understand how they feel about this whole thing. Not necessarily that Djokovic is a danger to the entirety of public health in Australia, but that, listen, everybody else had to follow these rules. So. Again, I think to just remind ourselves that multiple things can be true. And, and honestly, the fact that they said yes, and now they're saying no, and he's in detention in a hotel that a, I'm guessing is, is not uh, up to Djokovician standards. Yeah. I, I don't think that's great either. It's just, there's just, I mean, it's not great. It's pretty insane. We've got words coming from both sides. The Serbian president's getting involved. It's turned into a diplomatic issue. His father's saying, we're going to take this to the streets. Like there, there's a lot going on. And it's important to note, as you mentioned, we don't know all the facts yet. We're still waiting to, uh, to figure all that out. I have a, a couple of things to say. One being, we understand that obviously Djokovic made a decision. There's consequences to the decision, but I want to just highlight the fact that this seems to me like, I don't want to say gaff, but an issue with tennis Australia not getting the proper clearance because he filed for an exemption. We can say whether that was a legit one or not. He was given the impression that it would be all clear, all ready to go. It's an exemption that other players in this tournament who we don't know have or <laughs> will have. Maybe they'll be taken away now as a result. But there was uh, a breakdown there. And in a weird way, Blair, I almost feel like I'm, I'm definitely not, you know, don't want to sound like someone that's defending Djokovic 100% here. But 
he went from I'm getting preferential treatment, which is why I can understand justifiably the locals having a problem, to now they're kind of making an example out of him where it's like, okay, with this guy, number one in the world, super rich, wealthy athlete, arguably the greatest tennis player ever, why does he get the right to do that? So they've almost gone the complete opposite direction. I don't know what the solution is. I just know that if there was a hard line in the stand, no exemption of this kind, everyone was on the same page, I think we could avoid all of this. I know. And, and I, I feel what you're saying. I, I think that just as a human, there's a human element of this. Right. And to say everything's fine, mm-hmm. that the fact that he was able to board the plane and then to land and be held in this mysterious room that was mm. that was offed with or without his phone the past 24 hours <laughs> yeah. well, exactly yeah. for for hours and hours uh and for them then to decide that he was going to be denied it just mm. doesn't sit well um yeah it's it's unfortunate we're, we're having to talk about this we still don't know what the end result's going to be um whether he had all the paperwork or not it was Arguably, you know, the fact that he only had one of the three documents needed that opened Pandora's box here. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that this is probably the, this is one of the strongest mental athletes I've ever seen in any sport. And his ability to compartmentalize, if he's allowed to play in this tournament, Blair, he will have no problem if the crowd's against him. If he doesn't play this tournament and he's not back until sometime in the spring, regardless of what he decides to do, uh, I think he'll be motivated and he'll be out for blood. So I think the next time we see Djokovic on the tennis court, whether it's next week or beyond, he is so good at compartmentalizing that he will bring his best and use this as added motivation. I I would be unhinged <laughs> at this point if, if yeah. I were Djokovic. <laughs> so the fact that yeah. I think you are 100% correct really, again, speaks to sort of the fascinating nature of the person of, Novak Djokovic. I, when I think about it, 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 I am the personification of the mind blown emoji. I don't understand it. I don't understand how you can possibly be able to sort of, like you said, we've seen him compartmentalize in other areas with other pretty serious things. This takes the cake, yeah. uh, I think, with, with all of those, but I think you're absolutely right. I don't think he he's going to somehow come undone as a result of this and not be able to hit a tennis ball. I think he's going to be okay on the tennis court, but hey, listen, the, the chances to get 21, to get another Grand Slam, you just never know. Yeah. And so even though people are like, listen, he could win every one this year, he might never win another one again. Yeah. Uh, somebody pointed out the other day to me, this like, Everybody thought Tiger Woods was going to break Nicholas's major record yeah. and who could have predicted how things went down. So to take away the opportunity to get another Grand Slam title, it's a big deal. It's crazy. Uh, then again, I mean, I don't know that anyone else in history could have beaten Federer in that Wimbledon with the entire crowd just cheering against him. Uh, he's he's, he's a one-of-a-kind athlete. Uh, last thing on him before we move on. Do you think that this, you know, take his game aside of it and his decision-making – does he take a hit with his image in the public? Does he take a hit in the locker room? We've seen players, you know, Alex Demonar, Jamie Murray, a few others have kind of rolled their eyes at this outwardly or, or otherwise. Do you think, especially in that locker room, he takes a hit going forward? I think hits have already sort of been taken. I think the people who are Team Djokovic behind the scenes are probably going to remain Team Djokovic, and the people who rolled their eyes are probably still going to roll their eyes. I, I think sort of the the party lines have been drawn. From everything I understand, Djokovic is is 
respectful in the way that he goes about his business. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think on the surface, we're not probably going to be privy to who rolls their eyes and who's not, uh, at least at least uh, in terms of being put on blast in that way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think those those lines have already been drawn. That's what I say. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Blair Henley here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Well, it remains to be seen with Novak Djokovic, uh, but this time of year, the, the good stories are the players coming back to tennis after uh, some time off, players that have cut their seasons short the year before, Naomi Osaka being one of them. She's back onto the court, won a couple matches, went three sets with Cornet, a, a very game player, but I think, look, and this is the bigger point of this time of year where wins and losses in the first couple weeks aren't necessarily the story. For her, the story is it's just good to see her enjoying playing tennis again. It was interesting to hear after she beat Cornet, her on-court interview, where she just said, you know, I was just at home and I kind of <laughs> just got bored and I texted my team and was, <laughs> was like, you want to yeah. come back on the court with me? And they said, okay. Um, she also said in her press conference that she thought the layoff was going to be longer. So the fact that she sort of had that itch to get back out on the tennis court, I think is a promising sign for everyone who enjoys watching her compete and hopes that she's going to compete for a long time. She has proven over time also that she doesn't need a long runway. So if anyone can sort of pop back out on the tennis court and, and win matches against the best players in the world, I think it's Naomi Osaka. So again, she has two matches under her belt now. And I think a lot of positive signs from her. She definitely doesn't need as you said, a long runway to be back in the mix and back contending. I still maintain that belief as great as you are, maybe with the exceptions of the big three, Serena Williams and her her peak. To be a great tennis player, you have to be playing tennis. So I hope that she's able to stay in it. The game, and, and we talk about a bunch, the depth of the women's game is, is as deep, the pool's as deep as it's ever been. For her to get back to her apex level, which I would still argue is as good as any in the entire world in the women's tennis I think she has to be committed and able to be out there for months at a time. So that's what I'm hopeful of seeing, staying healthy, staying in the right headspace, because if she plays, she gets some of that rust off. She'll be right back at the top of the game where she belongs. I think you're right about that. I, I'm also, you know, we mentioned there's upsets that happen, and you want to give credit to the to the players that perform them. I mean, Sabalenka's gone down, Sakari's gone down. There's been some already. Um, I think this time of year, I'm interested in your perspective, Players haven't played competitive matches in a few months, which is an eternity for them. What do you take out of an upset loss this time of year or in the tune-up, so to speak, period, before a Grand Slam? Do you think players are all of the different mindset, like I'm just trying to work on aspects of my game? Do you take you know each one on a case-by-case -case basis? When somebody like Sabalenka, who loses her match and kind of mentally unravels, what do you take away going into one of the big Grand Slams? That Sabalenko match was a bit of an aberration because there were some <laughs> issues going on with the serve as well. So I'm not, I, I can't, I, that, that one was a little bit more unusual than maybe the standard, hey, I haven't played matches in a while and I'm just a little bit rusty. Uh, so I can't speak to, to yeah. Sabalenka specifically. I'll be very interested to see the next match that she plays because that was, mm -hmm. again, just sort of an unusual visual out on the court. It just looked like she was struggling right. to be in, in the moment, struggling with the serve. 
I think in general, I would say, eh, <laughs> grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, any tennis player will tell you, you could play 10 hours of practice sets in the heat of South Florida, and it's not the same as playing a tournament match. Uh, as soon as you get that adrenaline, as soon as there's the pressure of, of people watching and wanting to win, wanting to win the tournament, wanting to win money, whatever it is, it changes the game. It changes how your body physically reacts, the mental side of things. So I, I think it's important for players to just say, hey, listen, I'm just going to go in with solid, maybe, maybe low expectations and just sort of see if I can work my way in. You don't want to, well, last year there was the quarantine period where it was very dangerous. If you just go full bore right when you come out of the hotel room, we saw a lot of injuries as well. Uh, I think there is a ramping up period. And on the women's side, I mean, I, I can't get enough of the development and the improvement of Shelby Rogers, another big win over Maria, Maria Sakri. She's basically reinvented herself, changed her fitness, her body up, and gotten great. But that's an example of there's a, there's a top 10 player, there's a top 40 player. The difference isn't that big like they're they're very similar so I almost don't even consider that a major upset no especially because Shelby over time has proven herself to be someone who is capable of any upset at any moment but and I think Shelby would tell you it's a matter of sort of stringing those matches together instead of yeah. sort of having one here and one there and as you said fitness looks amazing and and can that lead to maybe a little bit more consistency in terms of showing that incredible play that we've seen from her so many times in several matches in a row and that's i think the key for her and i think it's absolutely possible she's turned herself into the giant killer which is just great to see she's just hopefully i don't want to yeah. see shelby rogers in my draw or no. ahead of me in the draw that's for sure no, she better get seated for the rest of the tour's sake that's for sure she's close uh the atp cup uh is something i wanted to talk about speaking of some upsets being pulled there's been some great results there the format itself is team oriented we know from the labor cup and the davis cup that it's interesting and anything new and unique is great for tennis, but there hasn't been the same level of interest internally in the locker room and outside. What do you think the reason for that is that the AT cup hasn't quite taken off like some of the other events? I think there's just, it's just sort of the, the team, it, team fatigue slash tennis fatigue. As you said, I think it plays into the fact that Davis cup wasn't that long ago. I feel like that was just yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so it's just sort of a, a rinse, repeat feeling. Obviously, uh, ATV Cup has sort of the bench factor, which is nice. I like that we get some of those fun clips of the players and the and the captains interacting on the sidelines. We're going to get some great matches. The Medvedev-Veratini match is a perfect example, or uh, Oje Aliassim getting the win over Sverev. So in pieces, I think the yeah. ATV Cup is great. It's just sort of harder, at least for me, to enjoy it as a whole and I think that's solely because throw in a time difference there's it just it's starting up and people are like ah tennis is happening again there's just a lot going on I think in isolation it's great it's just there are a lot of factors that play into people being able to sit down with a thing of popcorn and enjoy ATP cup as a whole for me, it's all just where it is on the calendar. Like it's yeah. week one and we're just getting back to tennis and now we go into a team event and the players fairly like totally understand why they're not them. They're not their apex selves yet. Like they just can't be, you're just starting out. So, uh, but again, where, when else can you have it? It's, it's a tough one. There is a little bit of fatigue there. And I think that's the reason because you mentioned it, the matches have been great. Felix over Zverev could be a huge confidence boosting win for a guy who's been on the cusp of being one of the elite and 
can beat these guys if he can, like we said with Shelby, string them together. I would love to see Felix with just a little bit of an edge. Mm. Uh, Felix 2.0. That would be Felix 2.0 for me is he does so many things so well. And he's just such a delight in yeah. every way. Yeah. I just want to see a little edge. You wanted to see my match point, just hit it right at Zverev and just. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there, there you go. But, but yes, yeah. just sort of that, that concept of just like a little edginess on the court. I would love to see that from Felix this year. I like the doubles concept. I like the camaraderie of the country. Uh, and this ties into one thing I didn't get to talk to you last time because I think we recorded in late September. Uh, unbeknownst to me, you were about to go viral with the U.S. Open champion and your family as well. Uh, because now I'm seeing Medvedev out on the court playing doubles. Uh, his celebrations have taken off. And I think you're, and, and your family is a great part of that. Uh, well, it's funny. So it was actually my former coach at Rice, uh, where I played college tennis, it's her daughter. And she sent it to me sort of on the side, Mm -hmm. like, ah, how funny is this? And I was like, that is hysterical Uh, for those who didn't see the clip. It was, uh, my coach's daughter doing the, as she said, the meditative, uh, where she sort of (laughs) flopped on the uh flopped on the mattress sideways uh the l2 plus left celebration um and daniel ended up liking it retweeting it um my coach is like does this mean she's gone viral i was like i don't know what the the actual (laughs) definition is but i think a lot of people thought it was very cute and and i think for me in a little way it was sort of a reminder that for for little kids Medvedev is going to be the one that they watch mm. growing up. He's going to be the one that they want to imitate with the, you know, uh, I know, he, I don't know that he loves the term octopus, but yeah. the octopus celebration or those are the things that the kids coming yeah. up are going to be seeing and they're going to be emulating. Uh, unlike us, us yeah. old folks <laughs> who grew up with a different generation, that's who they're going to be seeing. And I think there are a lot of really entertaining players to carry them through those formative years. Well, your coach's daughter at least did it on a bed. Like Medvedev, I was worried he was going to injure himself on the on the hard concrete there. <laughs> I it, it remains one of my favorite yeah, videos that yeah. I have on my phone. Yeah. I just I was happened to be in the stands. I got to watch that match as a fan. I I watched him flop. At first, I thought it was like a fit a dead fish imitation. <laughs> yeah. I, I, as he said in his, his accepted speech or, or his trophy speech, you know, only legends will understand. I was clearly mm. not a legend mm. um, until I, I knew what that meant. But yeah, I mean, hey, I love that he's different. I'm a huge fan of different in general. Showing some personality, things we love in yeah. tennis. Um, another player that's back in, and I wanted to get your thoughts on Ash Barty, world number one for a very long time. Back onto the court, native Australia, feeling good. Played a classic match against Coco Golf, and it was a great performance by Coco early on. She didn't even really wilt that much down the stretch. It was classic Barty, down a set, down a break, digs in, changes tactics. The movement, the shot making from both, and the uh, versatility still seems to be intact for Ash Barty. Talk about another player who doesn't seem to need a long runway. Uh, Ash, Ash Barty is that. And I think for recreational players, I think there's maybe something to be learned in the fact that Ash's game is simple. Uh, there, there's just not a whole lot going on. And, and, and I don't mean simple in the fact that, you know, it, it's straightforward. She has many tools in her toolkit, but the actual stroke construction is simple. There's just not a lot to go 
terribly wrong on the tennis courts. Um, and she has that tennis IQ, which we've all come to know and love. So, I mean, I, I was asked recently who I thought was going to be the year at number one at the end of 2022. And I think my, my answer was Ash and Danielle. And I think mm. Ash, just because of the consistency, because she's able to, you know, even if she has a, a bad match here or there, she's able to sort of string together solid play week after week. There's so many players we keep harping over. And you can even just look at the metrics and the advanced stats. The women's game in a major, it's almost like a crapshoot. Players are beating each other. It's tough to find that apex predator. But as you said, I would agree with you. Barty is the most consistent. And if you're going to bet on somebody for the 56-week sprint, I think she's the best bet because she's most likely to always be in the mix. Her floor is a little higher. The one thing, though, is, and, and I agree she doesn't need that long of a runway, but there is that pressure of trying to break the curse in Australia of being that first major champion in a long time. So this is the only area where she's going to feel that pressure. I think she plays loose and free, clay court swing, Wimbledon champ, even American hard courts. But these next couple of weeks, are, is, that's where the pressure is on for her. That's a great, that's a great point because she has sort of admitted uh, again, as much as Ash will actually admit something mm -hmm. like this, that there, it is, yeah. it is different to play at home. And, and as you said, in Australia, there's such an incredible sports tradition and people are so invested they're not invested for the star power of it they're yeah. invested for the sport of it which is what we love about the aussies and how they cheer on their sports but if i were the athlete that would be a whole lot of pressure her opponent that she beat was coco golf she played a good match um no shame in losing to ash barty as we know what do you think the next step for her is now you know, has been playing pro for a couple of years, getting that professional experience and also seeing some contemporaries her age get some success. What do you think the next step for Coco is? I think in some ways, the fact that Coco is not the story is good for her. Um, she, I, I liked how aggressive she played against Ash. I think she's getting more and more confident up at the net, which again, just puts another tool in her toolbox that's available to her that can put pressure on opponents. She just seems to have a sort of level mentality coming in. And she even said, I'm, I'm trying to be more level on the court. I'm trying to handle my emotions better. Uh, and I think that's just a part of just maturing in general. It's just tough when you're a athletic superstar and you have to sort of figure that out in front of millions of people so I think as she sort of levels out in that way and keeps that that really competitive fighting spirit that she has I see only good things it just may be a more normal trajectory versus you know yeah. Emma Raducanu which has never has never happened before may never happen again yeah, I, I totally agree. Flying under the radar is good. It's not about who gets there first all the time. We, we know that exactly. historically in sports. And uh, you know, she's right there. Like, that's she's right there with Ash Barty. She's right there with the best players in the world. Still growing, still developing. Serve's gotten better. That was the big thing for me, is as long as she kind of eliminates those unravel free, <laughs> free breaks for her opponents. But she is right in the mix and still has a lot to develop. And I think changing some tactics ever so slightly is only going to help her going forward. So, again, easy to repeat, but not a sprint. It's a marathon. Long there career in go. front of her. And uh, I, I don't see any any red flags at this point. I, I agree. It's funny you say not a, uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint, because it always that, that saying always reminds me of the story I read about Alejandro Davidovich Fakina back at Roland Garros when he had that breakout tournament last yeah. year. He hired a, a marathon runner 
to be a part of his team. And initially I thought it was like a, a fitness thing, but it was more, it was, it was partially that, but it yeah. was more sort of approaching his career from that exact mentality is just sort of, it's the long game. Um, wow. I mean, works in life too, Mitch. I mean, we're just spewing life lessons today. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Blair Henley here on Tennis Channel Inside In, just, just dropping knowledge left and right here. A um, couple more things before we wrap this up. Rafael Nadal back onto the court playing competitively, played the uh, Abu Dhabi exhibition, unfortunately got COVID. He's back healthy. He's down in Australia, beats Barankas in his first match back. But with him, I think it's fair to say it's all about the fitness. It's all about how he looks. This has historically been his least successful Grand Slam tournament, which is obviously saying something. But what are your thoughts on Rafa, this you know revamped, re-energized Rafa going into 2022? Revamped, re-energized Rafa would be a Rafa that I would be afraid of. Yeah. <laughs> If I were, uh, I would never tell anyone I was mm-hmm. afraid of it, but that I, I might be a little nervous if I had to take on Rafa right now, just because, uh, you know, and, and hopefully his foot is feeling good. I mean, I think as athletes, they're always used to playing with some level of pain and you just have to hope that it, that's manageable at this point. I think the level of pain sort of goes up a notch with, with each year that you're on, on tour. Let's hope that he's healthy. And I wouldn't ever count Rafa out um ever (laughs) so I'm excited to see him back on the court it's refreshing it's fun it's simple it's Rafa doing what Rafa does and I think we can all appreciate that my only concern slash worry is history at this tournament hasn't been kind to him uh health-wise and he's only getting older and more miles and are being put on uh the body there you know how many times I mean we can just think off the top of our heads has he left Australia banged up and I, I know last year he'll never admit it. He's too proud. There's too much honor in him. But he was not full health at the end of that sense of match. So I just want to see him get through this tournament healthy. I don't know what the apex is. I also know that he rounds into form because he's got a couple months swing in the spring and summer where he is still the alpha. So I just want to see what his game is. And, and the other thing with Rafa strategically-wise, he doesn't get enough credit for He'll change some things up to really improve his game. And we talk about reinventing himself. There's a reason why he just set the record for most times consecutively in the top 10 rankings. And I think he's also wise enough and experienced enough and as is his team at this point to take precautions if necessary, if he needs to pull out, I think he's going to pull out because he knows again, maybe he wouldn't have five years ago, but he knows, as you said, that, that the clay season is, is key and he wants to be 100% for that. Speaking of recovering from injuries, I know you've been monitoring like I have the Sitsipas storyline because he got surgery on his elbow. He came back clean shaven is a little weird. I think I don't know that I'm used to that, (laughs) but he's back on the court dealing with his elbow injury. And he said out front, which is kind of just who he is, I think, hey, I'm still dealing with this. I'm taking it day by day. We don't know how it's going to react, but we're just going to have fun and play tennis out here. Lost a a long match in the ATP Cup to Diego Schwartzman, but Sitsipas's elbow injury do you think this is going to be a storyline to watch? Do you think he'll be able to round into form? Where are we at with Sitsipas and his health? I think elbows are tricky 
uh, it's, I mean, there's so much stress on that part of the body uh, when you're a tennis player, there's stress on a lot of parts of the body, but, but elbows, I think are, are tricky elbows and wrists and sort of anything that goes into hitting the ball the way that you want to hit the ball. It makes me, it, it definitely gives me pause when, when he sort of said, well, we'll see how I feel. I was like, he, that doesn't sound <laughs> spectacular. Um, again, I, I try not to project too far out. I, I don't think there's ever reason for panic. I think he has experienced people around him that said it's safe to go ahead and play the ATP cup. So again, I don't think he made that decision lightly. Um, I also think he really, really wants to play. So yeah. I think you sort of have to balance those two factors and hopefully he has, um, hopefully, hopefully he can balance them well for the longevity of, of his career and, and this year in particular. I've gone on record many times saying that that irreverence that he has uh, is going to serve him well, maybe not making friends, but in terms of success, like he is just different and you know, you've spoke to him. He is a different cat and it's, it's refreshing in ways. It's also a little weird to say, like you said, hear him say, well, we'll see. My elbow's not great, but we'll just figure it out. I, I have to say, you mentioned his clean shaven look, his hair is a little shorter. Um, we talked, we talked about his hair a couple years ago at the U S open 20, 2020 U S open. And he told me that if he ever did cut his hair, his nickname would be curly whirly. And so <laughs> I feel like with it a little bit shorter and with kind of no facial hair, I kind of can see the, the curly whirly nickname working for him right now. Whatever works. Uh, I just, I want to see, he's another one that's in the mix of trying to get that grand slam breakthrough. Uh, unfortunately, no uh, Australian open for Serena Williams and Roger Federer. Uh, I don't know when we're going to see them again. I know Federer is playing the longer game, but as, as far as Serena goes, I think it's, you know, it's going to, we're going to be coming up on a, about nine months or so, probably by the time she gets back to the court, never want to doubt what she's capable of, but this is a 40 year old athlete with a lot of injuries to some key body parts. So I don't know when we're going to see her again and, and what that level, unfortunately, will, unfortunately will be. I continue to be reminded of what she said. I believe it was after her exit at last year's Australian open. Uh, when I'm trying to remember exactly what the question was, but essentially her answer was, I'm probably not going to tell anyone when it's the mm. end. I'm not going to announce it. I'm not going to want do, a farewell tour. Yeah. It's, well, right. I'm not going to, not going to pull the Derek Jeter and, and go get uh, souvenirs at each yeah. tour stop. Um, and that sort of always sits in the back of my mind when I'm thinking about, you know, she made a comment on, on her coach, Patrick Martoglu's Instagram saying, you know, can't wait to get back out there. So people are like, she's, she's coming back, but I just, None of it. I just don't think that it's cumulative with Serena. I think you could see one thing and think it adds to this. And the next day you could see another thing and think it, it leads to this. There's just no predicting, I think, when it comes to her. When you talk to a lot of athletes, even the all-time greats, they say they still love the game and wish they can go out there. It's what goes into getting back onto the court, the rehab, the practices. And that will be when, I think, and even with in Roger's case too, when that gets too challenging and, and you know, too much. I think that's when you walk away. Selfishly, we want them to have that goodbye farewell song, but some athletes Thank are you. some athletes yeah. are more like Tim Duncan, where they just want to say, "All right, I'm out. See ya." Press release. <laughs> Hope to see them both back. Uh, in lighter news, uh, one of the final topics here on the show: props to Sloane Stevens getting married to Josie Altador, uh, New Year's Day wedding, I believe, and uh, you know another another addition to the married uh, tennis club, which has uh, some in recent years. I think there's been a lot of married and, and mothers that have done well on the tour, so. 
We'll see with Sloan, but uh, congrats to her. I mean, Sloan has secured the number one photogenic tennis player ranking <laughs> yeah. in the world. <laughs> Those yeah. pictures, I was like, is this, is this painted? Like this looks so incredibly perfect. Uh, yeah, unbelievable wedding pictures. Congrats to them. Um, and it's nice. Listen, I think, I think for every tennis player, everyone who plays a sport for a living and really just in general in life, it's nice to sort of have different sides um, to what you do and nice to have some distractions, nice to have, you know, things outside of your work. And so great I, for her. And I want to ask you this without hopefully overstepping any boundaries. Do you think it could be good for her now that like it, it's happened, that there might've been this thought on the back of her mind, like I'm getting married, I have to plan all this stuff now that I'm married and obviously it's a happy event, like, okay, married, I'm, I'm in my lane now, I'm a married woman, this is great. Now it's tennis full steam ahead. You know, a great question. <laughs> I, I don't feel like I can answer yeah. that. I think everyone sort of approaches the yeah. getting married thing differently. Yeah. Personally, I wanted nothing to do with it. I was like, my mom was like, I are so all planted. I was like, sounds great. That's awesome. yeah. <laughs> so for me, I was like well. not engaged in that at all. Um, no pun intended. So I don't know how Sloan approached it. I feel like Sloan, you know, I, I love, I, by the side, quick side note, I love her little newsletters that she's doing um, yeah. to kind of put her unfiltered, mostly unfiltered thoughts out there. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, she posts them on her uh, Twitter account, but yeah, I, I don't know. So I don't know. It depends. How would you get, are, are you married? Mitch? Are we not get married, super? not married. Uh, I would, yeah, I, I think the, the, the planning side of it is what I was going at. Maybe she yeah. wasn't hands-on the planning. I could just, yeah. I can only imagine what it would be like for an extravagant wedding that looked as amazing as it did all the time that went into it. So, well, uh, and listen, getting married in, in a pandemic, yeah. which is, we're about to enter what season, season three, yeah. uh, Getting married in a pandemic. I, mean, I have no idea if her wedding was supposed to happen earlier and it didn't because of COVID. I think that's very possible. So in that case, I'm sure it's it's awesome to finally get it done. And she's somebody getting back to the tennis court that is dangerous. Like when she shows up in your draw, first round, second <laughs> round, semifinal, Coco Goff found out the hard way at the U.S. Open last year. When Sloan's engaged and active, tough player to beat. Sloan's one of the more compelling personalities yeah. on tour for me. Again, yeah. as someone, I am not personally like her or at least what she, mm -hmm. she shows in terms of sort of how she approaches things mentally. Yeah. I wish I could be a little bit more like that. Like, Hey, I lost. Don't panic people. Like there's mm -hmm. always next week. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could be a little bit more like that in life. I am not. Uh, so Sloan is always sort of fascinating to me and also really fun to watch on the tennis court. So all wins there. Last thing I wanted to bring up uh, with Australia in full force here. Uh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's always 2022 or a new season. There's always sponsorship changes, players with new deals. Can't really remember a, a year like this where we have all these players in gear that isn't really tennis-based necessarily. 
the some of the examples I have here: uh, Christian Green's in Armani now. Uh, Ila Tamjanovic is wearing Penguin. Layla Fernandez is in Lululemon. Um, so there's a couple others. But what are your thoughts on some of these other companies branching out into the tennis sphere? I love it because to me that says that people outside of our little tennis sphere are realizing the marketing potential in tennis. Uh, and so I think that's overall a massive positive. Um, I think that sort of represents a little bit of a, a mentality shift and, and seeing what tennis is capable of. Does that have anything to do with the fact that tennis has made international headlines multiple <laughs> times in the yeah. last 12 months? I don't know, but I think overall, um, it's a great product. And I think anyone who spend any company who spends the time to look into it will find that out very quickly. Yeah. There, there's just so many different, uh, avenues for, for tennis players to get sponsorships. It's more money in their pockets. It's more money in the sports pockets. I think that's a good thing. It's just good to see it recognized more on a global stage. I mean, we all know the Federer Unigo deal, but that was kind of their big foray. I know they had Nisha Corey and, but you know, they go after the top player. It's good to see that, more tennis players can eat and there's an opportunity for uh, other brands to get into the tennis sphere. And it's more clothes for us to wear and look fashionable while representing tennis too. There you go. I love it more. That's, that's really what it's all about is, is how good can the, the peasants look uh, playing on the public courts? <laughs> Laura Henley, this was fun. Uh, last question. I mean, what, what can possibly be next for tennis other than obviously the impending chaos that we're all, it is like a reality show. Uh, and I'm just excited to see, what's next in this sport and, and what storylines develop next? I, I have no idea what's next. I just know that I will sing it from the, the mountaintops. Tennis is the best. If, if people who are sort of on the fringe and who have seen tennis headlines pop up throughout the past year, I want to say, come on in people. It's great here. We've got personalities. We've got, arguably the best athletes in the world. That's a debate for another time. Mm. Uh, we've got off court drama, anything you could ever want in a sport that you follow. So come on in. We'd love to have you. How many ballpark, how many texts did you get in the last 48 hours <laughs> from non-tennis people? I made the decision just, just, to okay. post a couple yeah. of tweets yeah. on Instagram. Um, just because that's where most of my, I'm like everything that's being said yeah. on Twitter is going to be said mm -hmm. most of the people who don't follow tennis who i know are are followers yeah. on mm -hmm. instagram so i posted some tweets on instagram thinking it was just going to be like a, hey this is this wild thing happening in australia yeah. it turned out to be the longest instagram story i ever i have ever put together because the saga just kept going and people i mean i have never had so many messages mm. on instagram or via text about what i do for a living in my life uh people just being like wait explain this to me like how does this work like and, and people it's so interesting too when people sort of take their own personal biases and view these sorts mm -hmm. of things because I the messages that I got were sort of all over the map in terms of who they were siding with mm -hmm. and and how their takeaways from the whole Novak Djokovic saga so it really is sort of a little social psychology experiment I think I'm right there with you uh messages from all over the uh, spectrum of people that don't normally follow tennis with uh, the occasional, just what's going on, explain this to me, which is yes. fine in this case, but. No. Which listen, I hate that it has to combat Novak Djokovic's mm -hmm. expense, but I do in general, like when people who don't follow tennis are asking questions about tennis. 
Laura Henley, thanks again. We'll have to do this again in a few months, catch back up and see what the storylines are. But uh, pleasure having you here on Tennis Channel Insight and best of luck with uh, everything going forward and uh, continuing to grow the game. Always a pleasure, Mitch. Have a great next few days. We'll see what happens Monday, Australia time. Monday, Australia time. That was Blair Henley on Tennis Channel Inside In. We're kicking things off in 2022. If you like the show, you can subscribe, uh, leave a rating or review. We're on all your podcast platforms. Go to tennis.com slash podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network for this show and every one of the shows on our network. Blair Henley, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.